Welcome to Inside the Gridiron with Jack Borowski on Podsource, your home for all things NFL-related. Welcome into Inside the Gridiron on Podsource. I'm your host, Jack Borowski. On this episode, we are fortunate to be joined by Ken Sarnoff. Ken is currently an agent at Young Money Sports, one of the top agencies in the country. Ken, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Happy to be here, Jack. Thanks for having me. Now, Ken, I remember listening to your story about how you got into the agency business at the Combine. I thought it was one that was pretty unique. So can you start off by telling us your path to becoming an NFL agent? Well, I would say that I always had a great interest in sports. And in high school, I did something very similar to you, which was I had a radio show and I was interviewing celebrities along the Chicago area, which is where I'm from, uh, who would come on my radio show. And that led me to Syracuse University, uh, where I followed this passion to be into sports broadcasting. At Syracuse, I worked uh, at a radio station called WAER, where names like Mike Tirico, Bob Costas, Marv Albert, Dick Stockton, a bunch of sports greats uh, in the broadcasting game wound up uh, graduating from and being a part of that, you know, that radio station. Uh, I wound up not enjoying that part of it as much as I thought I would. And I went to law school uh, just because I had always had an interest in law as well. In law school, I worked for a large agent uh, out of Chicago named Steve Zucker. Steve was someone who uh, in the eighties was one of the probably top three biggest agents in the game. He worked with Jim McMahon. He worked with, who was the Bears quarterback of the, maybe the greatest team ever, the 1985 Chicago Bears. He worked with numerous players from that team. He had Deion Sanders at one point uh, when he came out from the draft. He had a lot of big names. And I interned for him through law school uh, where I learned some of the business. And when I finished at uh, at Zucker Sports, uh, I started my own company out of my uh, father's law firm, which was called Star Sports. And uh, the rest was kind of history. And then, Ken, when you first got started in the agency business, I think it's really interesting because there's a lot of competition. You don't have the same clientele as the other top-tier agents that you're competing with. So when you first got started, how were you able to convince guys to sign with you, being that you didn't have the same experience as other agents? You know, it was a little bit different landscape back then than it is now. Now I think it'd be much harder to do that. Uh, But... Honestly, it was a complete grind. It was a very humbling experience. And frankly, it took a little luck. I wound up one night, so I wound up, two things happened. I went into an agent uh, at the NFL Combine, at my second NFL Combine, and they handed out a list of NFL. You basically had to put who your draft picks were for that year's draft. They don't do this kind of thing anymore. Uh, I had no players. I had just started my own company, and I had no clients whatsoever. They handed out a list, and you're in this big room with all these other agents at the agent seminar. They handed out this list to every agent there uh, that was registered, and they said, who are your clients for this year's draft? And I was sitting next to this guy who kind of looked like a player. He was athletic. He was built. He was somebody who, you know, I wasn't really sure you know, what to make of him, but basically – I put down nobody on my list because I had no clients. On his list, he put all the top players on the draft. Uh, He put down a name, Kajana Carter. He put down a name, a couple other names. 
and I realized he was working for the number one agent in the country that time, Lee Steinberg. This gentleman's name was Joby Brannon. And I said to Joby, I was like, oh, my gosh, you work for Lee Steinberg. And he said, yes. And I said, well, I'd be very interested in talking with you. And I, you know, kind of uh, basically harassed him in a nice, as nice way possible, but uh, the rest of the day. And uh, we struck up a friendship and I basically reached out to him uh, and he said he was kind of a, an early mentor to me. And he would kind of feed me guys that their firm didn't want. Uh, he, he liked me as well. And he was nice enough and gracious enough to send me players that they weren't interested in. And those players were usually like Canadian football league guys. And at one point I became like one of the bigger guys in the Canadian football league, kind of dealing with their leftovers, the guys that they didn't want uh, because there was no real profit for them in the Canadian football league when they were dealing with, you know, top draft picks, first round picks overall, those kinds of things. But these were also guys that wanted to be serviced, especially when they were calling their firm. So he, you know, it, it would be like uh, a top quarterback would have a first cousin and they'd say, Hey, can you take care of my cousin as well? You know, he plays too, but they didn't want to take care of his cousin. So they'd send him to me and I would take really good care of his cousin because it was all I had. And so I would totally grind for the cousin and he would be a Canadian football league and I'd put him in Calgary or Montreal or something. Well, through that, I got my first NFL client who was a CFL punter who tried out for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, did his first deal uh, with the Eagles. and That was my first client, but my first good client, funny enough, and just showing about, you know, first really good client was going back to college. I made a relationship in college with a uh, player named who was a Syracuse football player named Dwayne Joseph. Dwayne Joseph is now the uh, pro personnel director of the Philadelphia Eagles. And he and I were in class together, actually. And I ran into him at a Super Bowl party in 1999. And I told him I was trying to do this agent thing. And he was young, but he had just finished playing a three-year career with the Chicago Bears and was working as their player programs guy. And he said to me that there's a guy in Chicago that he's really close with that needs somebody to do marketing, would I be able to do that? And I was like, of course. Even though I'd never really done marketing, I was like, I'll figure it out. You know, I needed a name. He told me the player's name. It was Marcus Robinson. Uh, Marcus Robinson was a star, an emerging star receiver with the Chicago Bears at the time. I lived in Chicago, and it was like a dream come true because in 1999, I was off and running, and I had a great client who was a great guy who wound up standing up in my wedding, uh, became one of my best friends, and it was almost beginning of a, a kind of Jerry Maguire, Cuba Gooding relationship, if you will. But uh, that's kind of how I got my first my first guys. And you talked a little bit about how you were able to get some of these guys from the uh, bigger agencies, but did you also recruit guys as well um, earlier on, or did you just take what they had from the CFL? Oh, no, absolutely. So once I had Marcus, and, then, and I was recruiting anyway, but I was recruiting with, like, nothing. So once I had Marcus coming and, and I had a couple more players, now I was able – I was out every single weekend. Uh, I was on the road. Uh, you know, and it's a tough thing. Young agents don't necessarily know when they're getting into the game how hard this is going to be. Like, you'll maybe have friends that are in graduate schools or, you know, making money in other careers, and you're sitting there on the road, and or maybe they've – big events or they're going to weddings. They're like, I'm sorry, I can't make it. You know, I'm going to recruit the Iowa-Illinois game this weekend. Or I, every weekend I was on the road at a Big Ten game 
or, you know, a back game or something like that. And I would literally go from college to college trying to talk to guys. And the hard thing is, is you're selling yourself, but to sit there in your 20s and you don't have much of a roster. Uh, so it was a tough sell. But I would grind and do everything I can. And, you know, in this business, if you were batting, if you're batting about 100, which is one out of 10, you were doing something good. And Ken, I know you've been in the business a long time. You've had a lot of experiences. And I, I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier how it's the business has changed a lot. So what would you say some of the biggest changes that you've seen from when you first started? Well, I think it starts with, you know, social media. I think the players have changed. The access to players having their own platforms has changed, both good and bad. Um, people are getting on players earlier. That could be good and bad. Uh, you used to not really even talk to people from a freshman. There were rules that you couldn't even talk to freshmen and sophomores and things like that. Um, it's just become a more kind of Wild West landscape, if you will. But it's always been challenging to recruit players. But uh, I think it's it's even harder than ever for young independent starting out, not with a major firm, just I'm going to you know, put up my own candle here and, and start going out of my own shop. It's going to be really tough to do that because uh, the costs have gotten out of hand of what it costs to get a very good player, to train them, um, all those kinds of things that would just, you have to come to it with, with an awful lot of capital in order to get a good football player uh, and take them through the process and not lose them to somebody bigger. And then you have to ask yourself, is the financial worth it? Because if you're paying out all this big money, the, uh, the things that guys have a lot of expectations and a lot of firms are uh, delivering those expectations. Uh, so that becomes a tough thing. You're dealing with you know families that, hey, this kid's a star. We're going to make X amount of money right off the bat. Um, and it's just become more challenging in that landscape. So then how now do you recruit differently than when you first started? Well, I try to be smarter about it. It's always about, you know, in my opinion, it's always about word of mouth. Um, we have people in our firm that I think are excellent recruiters. Um, I tend to um, be a little more selective at this point. And uh, that's just because, you know, I, I know a certain type of player that I'm looking for personally. Um, and that's what I've been fortunate in my partners that I work with on recruiting. Uh, that's what we've been looking for. But it's, it's an inexact science every year. You reinvent the wheel. Uh, you go back and you say, hey, what could I have done better? What am I, you know, I still don't consider myself a great recruiter. Every year there's challenges uh, with, you know, recruiting. Sometimes a kid might want someone who's, you know, I'm 46. Sometimes a kid might want someone who's, you know, 28, 29 years old, who's on Snapchat, who's got a better, uh, you know, who's relating to them better. You know, those kinds of things. It just depends. You, you never really know. You never really know. But as I've gotten, you know, older, hopefully I've taken the losses better. And you just never know. Uh, but if you're out there enough and you've got enough of a base, enough of, enough of a base clientele, then you have a pretty good sense of, you know, hey, I'm going to be okay if I don't get this guy. Life will go on. And Ken, with, recru with the recruiting process, I know it's very difficult. There's a lot of agents involved in it. So at what point, if there is any point, do you have a good feeling that you're going to sign someone? I don't have a good feeling until they put pen to paper. 
I've seen, I swear to you, I don't feel good about it at all. I never feel like you've won until pen comes to paper and that is signed. And even when they do sign, it doesn't mean that much because you still have work to do. That just begins the process. But you never get comfortable in this business. I never do. I never get comfortable. You don't get complacent because as soon as you are, you lose that guy. So you, you make sure that every day you're waking up and you're saying, hey, we got to go. You know what I mean? Just because he signed, he could fire you in a minute. You know what I mean? Uh, that doesn't matter. So you never, in my opinion, I never get comfortable. I don't ever sit there in November and say, I'm getting this guy. Even when people tell me I'm getting this guy, too much has gone wrong. I've seen it time and time again that, hey, you think you've got somebody in November? Let's talk after the bowl game in January, and all of a sudden two more people come in. That happened to me this year with a player. I was getting calls from people, and a trainer said, hey, he's going to go with you. I talked to him. Family loves you. November, I didn't get him in January. That happens all the time. So I never feel comfortable with it. And then you talked about it a little bit where you, you can never feel comfortable. And that's a situation where I think we, we tend to focus on agents and uh, players who are coming out of college who are signing together. But there are veterans who are looking for agents. So with a veteran player, what is the process like when they're looking for a new agent? Well, I mean, a veteran player has to initiate that process. So maybe he'll reach out to one of your existing clients. We can't contact a veteran player until they contact us. So if you get a phone call from a veteran player, okay, now we're setting up a meeting. That's a nice thing. That's a better angle because now you're not paying for training. You're not, you know, it's, they're a whole different mindset. They get the game. They understand usually where they fit in. They understand, if, you know, how good they're doing. They understand maybe what they're not getting from their current agent, what maybe other players in the locker room are getting uh, from, from their agent. Hopefully they see that what they're getting from us. Uh, but they, they understand, you know, there's not, there's not the naivete of, hey, I'm, this is going to be an easy thing. They understand that when you're coming out of college, you're taking another man's job. They understand the competition of the NFL. They understand the realities of the NFL. So the veteran player, you know, when he comes, he's a little more serious about the importance of the agent role. He's a little more serious about, hey, this isn't just about training and, and everything's going to be great and it's all about roses. It's not. This is actually some challenging stuff and I'm, something's deficient in my current re representation and that's why I'm reaching out to you. So when you get that call, then you just set up a meeting. Usually he's probably called a few other people and then the recruiting process begins again, but now it's kind of open season because now you're allowed to talk as long as he's initiated. Can with... The contracts that you guys sign with players, I know we always see the when a team signs a, a player and the contract, all the guaranteed money, everything's involved with that. But like you said earlier, you have to put pen to paper with the player. So can you describe what's in a contract between a player and agent? A player and agent contract in the NFL uh, can charge up to, an NFL agent can charge up to 3%. Uh, some less, some players you might see in the first round uh, who are know they're going to be a first round, maybe their fee is only 1% or 2% because that's what might have to happen in order to get that player. Uh, the competition is extraordinary. There's, I believe, 900 agents and there's 2,000 players, I believe, something like that. Uh, you can check my math on that, but that's around the numbers. And that means, and there's something about, something like 60 or 70% of registered agents don't even have one client. So, what happens is, is when you sign a player in this contract, 
it'll say things like the percentage of the fee, which is anywhere usually from 3% to, as I say, if it's a very elite player, you'll see firms with 1%. Um, then you could say that's number one. The, the, the contract will also have in there whether or not there's going to be a marketing agreement. Marketing usually is anywhere from 10% for an elite player to 20% for more normal players. And then it will also, so it would talk about the marketing agreement there. It would talk about whether or not the agent represents any NFL coaches or personnel people, because uh, you have to disclose that. So if this particular agent represents the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, you have to let the client know that. Maybe they think that's a conflict of interest. So you have to disclose that in this contract. And then you would also have in this contract, uh, you would have a training agreement. The training agreement says, hey, I'm going to you know, give you X amount of dollars between that transition period, uh, between the end of you know, your college career to the NFL. I'm going to pay for your training at an elite facility. We're going to get you a rental car. You'll live in a condo or a hotel. All that money, if you fire me, I'm getting it back. And that's what the training agreement says. So that's pretty much what it's called, the standard representation agreement. That's pretty much what goes into that. Ken, you also represent coaches in addition to players. What would you say the difference between representing coaches and players mainly is? You know, it's been interesting. Um, Coaches have, you're dealing with a more, with an older man, usually, you know, an adult. Uh, So there's not that angle of like you know total it's it's they're not kids it's not the it's not the um you know the 22 year old kid who you have to worry about going out at night and stuff like that uh you're not worried about these guys getting in trouble they're usually married you know guys who have families and things like that there's also a lot of insecurity in the coaching game um it's a lot of you know who do you know and getting on the right coaching tree and it's a lot of word of mouth, like, hey, I know this guy, and I coached with that guy. And it's just a different mentality because, again, with the coaches, there's only so few jobs as well. Um, it is a difference, but usually at the outset, you know, you're dealing with a guy who's obviously more mature and grown up. But at the same time, there's the same kind of insecurities that we all have because there's only so many coaching jobs. And everybody, you know, and, and come around November, December, when teams not lose, not winning, unlike players – you know, who, you know, might have a three-year deal or something like that, coaches get very nervous. And you you can see these guys live and die this life. I was actually out with a a team a couple weeks ago and we were talking about it. I was with the GM and and the negotiator and we were talking about how stressing it is for these coaches who spend 80 to 90, 100-hour weeks at the facility. They don't, they get like one day, they don't get a day off between basically July and February. Every day, seven days a week, they're in the facility. Uh, Once training camp starts, they're there all the time. So it becomes all-consuming their lives, their families' lives. They move around a lot because the jobs change so much. So it's a very stressing, you know, occupation. It's very stressing to represent them when things aren't going right. And if things aren't going right, and around November, December, it becomes a very challenging time. And you mentioned how... Um, you you recently had dinner with an a, a GM talking about this, and I think something that we don't think about it not in the NFL space, um, kind of fans of the game. But what is like an agent's relationship like with a GM, and how does that impact negotiations? Oh, I think it, it's 
it's a huge impact in negotiations. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, they're your friends. Sometimes for me personally, I'm 46. I've come up with a lot of these people. So I've known some of these guys since they were scouts in their twenties and here they are as a GM and, and we've been in the game a long time. So you've dealt with them a long time. Uh, the relationship, this is a relationship business, whether it be working with players, whether it be working with personnel people or GMs or coaches or whomever. It's all about your reputation in terms of getting along with people, what kind of guy you are. Your word is your bond, and that's the most important thing in this business. Um, all you can do, I had a player this year uh, where we he had a negotiation and another team came in and we'd given you know, our word that we were going to go to that team. And then it, for he, he was out of the country and, and it was going to be a week before he could sign a deal. And another team came in with an offer and we were like, no, nah, you know, our word is our bond here. And uh, that's the most important thing. And when you are in this business, as long as, you know, I've been in this business, you realize that it's a very small fraternity. There's 32 teams. You're going to have to go back to these people. You're going to have to come back to that well again. You don't want to burn bridges with people. And it's very important to have that relationship with, whether it be a GM, whether it be a scout, whatever, so that you can, you know, help each other. And with contract negotiations, are teams usually the ones who, whether it be an extension or in free agency, are they the ones who always start negotiations or will you ever contact the team to start negotiating? Uh, we will, that goes both ways. It just depends on what the player is looking for. It depends on what you're looking for. Uh, it depends what the team's looking for. Uh, I've had it definitely go both ways, where I've initiated or where it's been initiated to me. And Will, I, I know I've heard that it's always team comes in with their offer. It's always lower than what you want. You always want to get the best for your client and you guys kind of meet in the middle. But is are there ever times where they offer you a lot more than you expected to start? Yeah, that's happened. And those are good days, you know, uh, th those are wins, you know, uh, it's funny. Sometimes, you know, they see something in your player that maybe you, you look at, that's great. You know what I mean? Um, those are good days. They, they might be sometimes few and far between, but sure. Absolutely. That can happen. And it does happen. And can with free agency this year, I think we saw it where guys were getting enormous contracts that, we never thought were imaginable. And I think a lot of people in the media, a lot of fans were thinking, why would anyone want a contract extension and, and why wouldn't they just wait till free agency? But from an agent's perspective, what are your thoughts on a contract extension versus waiting until free agency? I think some players are so great that they won't even get to free agency. And you don't necessarily want that. It just depends. It's just every situation is different. If a team comes in and they give you market value or above market value on a, on a player and you know what the market's going to be, there's a lot to be said for having that security uh, in a place where a guy is happy, uh, what he's con considered home. He's got a legacy in that place. Uh, there's nothing wrong with doing an extension with a team as long as you're getting that market value. Sometimes that can be better. There's, you know, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Just because you change teams and change addresses and move to a new city doesn't mean it's going to be better, uh, especially in football. It's not like baseball where you're just going to pick up and all of a sudden you're going to be Bryce Harper and then go hit a couple home runs in a new uniform. Doesn't Football is about scheme and coaches and familiarity and routine and things like that. You know what I mean? So 
you know, if a guy's happy and it's going well and the team is treating him fairly and bringing in a comparable, comparable deal that you would find in free agency, then I'm all about that. There's no, there's nothing wrong. Whatever, you just got to kind of judge what the situation is going to be. Ken, since we're on the topic of contract negotiations, I know in 2006 you were involved in one of the game-changing contracts in the poison pill battle with Nate Burleson. Can you explain to me, uh, kind of to us, what happened there and how the NFL changed its contracts as a result? Well, that was a pretty wild situation. Uh, what happened was, is there was this Pro Bowl guard named uh, Steve Hutchinson who had been on the, he had been with, um, he was with the Vikings. He was with Seattle, pardon me. It, he was with Seattle, and the Vikings kind of started this war with the Seahawks, and they gave him – he was on the transition tag. And long story short, they were able to steal him from the, from the Seahawks, and he became a Viking. And they gave him this outrageous contract, and they put in there some language – I forget what the language was of his. They put in there some language that basically – made it impossible for the Seahawks to match. And the Seahawks were ticked. Now, Nate was from Seattle, and he was a restricted free agent at the time. And keep this in mind, he was a Seattle born and bred resident, loved Seattle. So he played three years with Minnesota. He was a restricted free agent. And basically what the Vikings and we came up with was that, and Nate wanted to go to Seattle. That was a key part. What they came up with was something called the poison pill. And what they wrote into the contract was because he was a restricted free agent that Nate, basically, if he scored, I'm trying to remember, 2006 was a while ago, but basically, if Nate played five home games in the state of Minnesota, this entire $49 million, or in the state, yeah, the state of Minnesota, this entire $49 million contract would be guaranteed. Well, obviously, he would play five home games in the state of Minnesota because he'd be a Viking. But, of course, if he was a Seahawk, he would never play five home games in the state of Minnesota. And $49 million would have made him the highest-paid player in the NFL at the time and so, of guaranteed money. So, long story short, we put that into the contract. The Vikings still – I mean, it was great, but the Vikings honestly were pissed about, pissed about it with me for a number of years, like really long time. And – uh you know, Nate did become a Seattle Seahawk, and that's where he wanted to be. And uh, it did work out well for him, and that's what the job is. That, that's one of, I think, probably one of the craziest contract negotiations. I yeah, think. It, after, that, after that happened, they, they basically came up with a rule that there were no more poison pills allowed. And the teams, those two teams had that blood for a long time. Uh, it became somewhat of a rivalry, you know, because they had just kind of basically screwed each other and taking each other's t- players and long story short they really got rid of the device right after that and it's actually a device that's a poison pill is something that's used in business uh that's where they kind of came up from it but uh you know long story short again Nate got to get to seattle and you know the rest is history All right i can imagine that relations weren't great between those two teams after that um, no it was pretty sour <laughs> Um, also switching gears a little bit, uh, I think another interesting thing is that your client, Lane Johnson, one of the best players in the league, fourth pick in the draft, but when he first started the draft process, and I'm sure when you were first recruiting him, it wasn't seen that he was going to be this top 10 pick. So can you kind of describe to me what his draft process and the recruiting process was like with him? Sure. Um, the year before I had two of his teammates, 
uh, James Hanna and Donald Stevenson. And they had both told me about this guy at Oklahoma that was just this freak athlete that was a real country kid and just like the best athlete they'd ever seen. And he changed positions a lot. He came out, he was a quarterback in junior college. Then he got to Oklahoma and he, they made him a tight end and then it got bigger and they made him a defensive end. And then they switched him to offensive, offensive line where he played offensive tackle. So I meet him for the first time that summer going into his senior year and his whole family basically comes uh, to this meeting. It was like eight people at the meeting. And we, we had a good meeting. Now I'm thinking at the time, and I talked to scouts at the time, he's a third round projection, third round. And, you know, basically I'm like, cool. I mean, like you're excited. He's possible third round pick. I have two of his buddies and we'll see where he goes. Um, so he signs that night. They play Johnny Manziel in the Cotton Bowl and Oklahoma gets absolutely annihilated. I go to the Cotton Bowl, and as I said, I went out and saw him a couple more times and, and kind of, you know, met with the family more. But I signed him after the Cotton Bowl that night. And again, I'm still thinking at that point in time, he's like a third-round pick. And he went out He went out to Brett Fisher Sports in Arizona. Brett is a great trainer who's someone I use a lot. Uh, and Brett had, you know, trained my guys the year before. Uh, I just remember getting a phone call. I can actually remember where I was. I uh, walk out of a, a chicken restaurant in Chicago and I get a phone call on a Friday night in January, really cold night. And the phone rings and it's Brett. And he goes, Ken, I just have to tell you something. I was working out lane today. I've been doing this business for 29 years and I've never seen an athlete like this. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. I said, I'm like, I know he's a great athlete. And he's like, Ken, this guy is going to be off the charts testing. He's like, he's just incredible. And wait until you see what's going what's to happen. So the next week is the Senior Bowl. And Lane goes to the Senior Bowl, and he just destroys it. I mean, he's like, he's like just perfect in this game to the point where uh, all week he was crushing in practice, but then the game begins at this corner. Lane is playing, at, he's playing on right tackle in one series, and this 4-3 corner makes an interception down the other sideline, the far sideline from where he's at. And Lane catches him. There's a tackle going down the sideline. And it was like incredible. It was like Lane's running like this dude's a four three corner and Lane catches him from across as a, as an offensive tackle, runs like forty yards and catches him before he can score. And like I was sitting next to a scout and he's like, I've never seen like that. And all of a sudden, by the end of the week, people are calling me and telling me that Lane's gonna be a first round pick. And I'm like, awesome. But, you know, he's getting some really hype. And he won, like, Senior Bowl Most Outstanding Player or something like that. So then the week goes, you know, time goes on. Now we're coming into the combine. And I'll never forget this. We go to dinner the night before the combine. And it's just me and him. It's like this quiet moment. And it's, not, it's, not the, it's at the combine, but it's the night before he's going to run. And he goes, Ken, I got to tell you something. And I'm like, what's that? He goes, I'm going to kill this to such a level tomorrow that these scouts have never seen anything like it. And when it's done, I'm going to go top five. So just be ready. So I looked at him. I took a sip of my wine. My wine I cheersed him and I said, let's go. You know, and then he did it. It was like Babe Ruth calling a shot. He absolutely went out and had one of the greatest combines of all time. He ran 472 at the combine. Uh, you know, as a 300 plus pound lineman, he ran 
he jumped higher than receivers. He ran faster than some running backs. And he tested, you know, he, he's a great dude, and people loved his interviews as well. Um, when it was all said and done, he went top five. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive when you think about it. I mean, calling your shot as a top five pick and then actually doing it, being the fourth pick in the draft. Um, and then with the combine, um, for an NFL agent, I'm sure that was a pretty unique experience. But just on a yearly basis, kind of um, from our perspective, we, we mostly focus on the drills in the dome, but that's not everything that goes into it. So what's the combine experience like for an NFL agent? Well, first of all, you got a lot of meetings that are set up because you're trying to sell your free agents as well. Even though free agency doesn't start till March, you're laying the groundwork for everything. And a lot of teams will meet with you and talk about your existing free agents. So you got that aspect of it. And that can take a lot of time. Then with the guys that are there, keep in mind, it's a medical interview. It's a medical check. That's what the whole combine is about. Obviously, it's about the running, the jumping, and the, you know, the athleticism part. But it's also about, is this guy healthy enough to play in the NFL? Sometimes a guy can go there and all of a sudden they find like a heart defect or they find, you know, hey, this uh, shoulder injury hasn't healed. And that can be very unsettling, very challenging. Um, you know, all of a sudden they, they find something that requires more surgery and who knows what, it could kill a guy's draft stock. Uh, I had, a, we had friends, uh, you know, people I know that once had a number one pick and the guy didn't go until the late second round because they found a major degenerative issue with his, with his knee. So those things happen a lot and that can happen at the combine. So there's a lot of stress involved with the medical part. There's a lot of taking care of your guy. Uh, making sure that he's good, that his mindset is right, um, you know, working with them. So it's it's an exhausting uh, week. And then with the combine comes a lot, of, a lot of media attention. I know with Lane, he was one of the biggest risers we've ever seen. Uh, but how much of the information that on our side, not being involved in the league as an agent, GM, or player, how much of what we hear about players rising and falling is actually true? Um, I think maybe, I don't know what the actual number would be or percentage or anything like that, but, you know, I think that a lot of it, with every GM I talk to, they always start with the game film. The game film is always the most important. And even though the combine is super important, just because a guy crushes the combine, that's going to be a good thing. But I just remember, like, the fastest human I've ever seen was Devin Hester. Devin Hester ran 4.42 at the Combine, which for Devin Hester was not that great. You know what I mean? That's okay. This wasn't his best day. But then he ran 4.28 at Miami, and that was more like Devin Hester. You know what I mean? Like, I think that a a little too much could be made out of, hey, this guy had an amazing Combine. Now he's going in the top 10 or something like that. I don't think it really goes like that. Then they look at the film, and I think the film is always the most important aspect uh, of you know a guy's evaluation that's just you know what i've come to understand over the years and ken i was switching gears a little bit here i know you just got back from the dr you guys have that trip your agency every year can you let, let us know like how did that first get started and why have you guys continued to do that every year well my partner andy sims uh started that and has you know really puts it together does a wonderful job of making sure it all works. The reason you do it is because the NFL career is short and you're dealing with guys who, you know, it is a wonderful job, but it's a very stressful job. 
And it's nice when you can bond with your agent, when you can bond with other players who are going through similar things and meet them. It's nice when a guy who plays in Denver uh, might play safety in Denver, meets a safety who plays in New York, and they could share their common experiences, uh, their wives, their girlfriends can meet. It just makes it feel more like a family. It makes it feel more like you're part of something special. Uh, and it's very important. Client service is what this business is about. And again, there's a lot of agents. There's not enough players. It's an incredibly competitive field. Every time, you know, you're not with your player, somebody else can be talking to them. That's just the reality of it. And it's a very glamorous business that everybody, you know, wants to be trying to do. Uh, it's a hard business. So, you know, you want to make sure that you are doing everything you possibly can, loving up your guys, uh, being the best agency you can be, being the best support you can be. And this is just a nice, fun perk, but it's it's something even deeper than that. It makes the relationship that much more special. You can bond uh, in a way, you know, say I feel closer with the guys that, that come off this trip. Uh, and sometimes that's a really nice thing. And can when you think about it, okay, kind of building those relationships and un, like understanding your clients, it's it's a very difficult business, and that's why you have to continue to service them because there aren't a ton of players. There's a lot of agents. So for high school students, college students as well, if they want to become an agent, how do you how should they prepare themselves if they want to get into that field? Well, I always tell people, and I get this question a lot. I was like, okay, so you're a college student and you, you want to be in, in sports, right? So are you, like, you go to University of Michigan. Have you gone to the football office? Have you said, hey, I'd be interested in working with the football team? Have you gone to the basketball team or whatever? Uh, are you around the football players? You're their same age. You can be friends with these people. You know, bring something to the table. You know, go get, don't just, you know, send me a resume saying, hey, I like sports and I got a 3.8 in the business school. That's not what this business is about. This business is about the relationships. What are you bringing to the table that I don't have? So I always tell that as number one to, to any college kid, um, become friends with players. Very simple. You know, not that simple because you're not going to see them that much. But if you're a football manager, you might. If you're working with the basketball team, you might. You know, so that's a good way to start. Work. If you go to a school that has, you know, uh, a program, a sports management program or something like that, that's another way you want to go. But, you know, don't necessarily pigeonhole yourself saying, hey, I'm definitely going to be working sports because you might not know as a freshman in college that's what you're going to do. But certainly, if it's something you're thinking about, then go work with the sport. Go do something to make yourself an asset uh, where, hey, I, you know, go to the football program and say, what can I do? Whatever it takes. This is a job of perseverance. And it's a job of not... You know, I, I heard a story, you know, it's kind of a legendary story, but like Howie Roseman's the GM of the Eagles, and he supposedly like wrote letters every day to teams until they would give him an internship. And anybody you hear who is in this football t world always has some story of where they started from. It's the people who have the most perseverance, who don't quit, who do whatever it takes to get an internship or a sweet floors or whatever to get to where they want to go. Those are the people that succeed in it. And it's the people who are willing to, to sacrifice the most, who will work the hardest, those are the people that rise. And that's what it will take. There's everybody who's in football has sacrificed, whether it be relationships with their friends at some point or with their family at some point, 
or with their job career at some point. There's coaches who are Harvard graduates and Princeton graduates who you read about who are making $30,000, uh, you know, is, is like a coach's intern. You hear about these stories time and time again, and those are the people that succeed, and those are the people that break through. So you find a way to get to players, and you find a way to work in the school's program, and there you go. And Ken, for our last question, we've, we've talked a lot about how it's, this is a very difficult business, but what would you say is the best part about being an NFL agent? I would say it's the reward, it's the it's the relationships, it's the helping, the knowing that you've really impacted someone's life um, in a positive way. It's it's helping them, uh, your players who become like family members, people that you become very close with. Uh, it's helping them achieve their dreams. And then my favorite part is watching when they give back to the community as well. So it's like, hey, you've helped this guy, you took him from you know, A to B, where now he's got financial security, his family should be set for life, and hopefully he's giving back. He's doing something to make the world a better place in his way. And, you know, whether that be, you know, hosting a charity um, benefit one night or, uh, you know, being out in the community and helping underprivileged kids, whatever it might be. But you've helped him and his family, and by doing that, he's helping others. And he's using his platform, and you're influencing that platform to make the world a better place. And that's my favorite part. All right. That was Ken Sarnoff from Young Money Football. I really appreciate your insight into the agency business and good luck with the draft. Thanks so much, Jack. I appreciate you. You just listened to Inside the Gridiron with Jack Borowski on PodSource. If you liked what you heard, be on the lookout for more inside scoop into the NFL. Also, follow the show on Twitter at the gridiron underscore NFL for all things football related. This is Jack Borowski signing off.